So, um, I guess this comes from the uh, ongoing discussions around global knowledge production processes in academia. Uh, and we're seeing um, increasingly attention paid to things like citation politics, so whom we're citing from where, uh, what their identities are, what they're writing about, and um, adding to that the sort of politics and ethics of collabor collaborative research, who owns the data, who's gathering the data, who gets to theorize, and not to mention the kind of politics of research funding. Um, and this is sort of within this, this imperative to think uh, in decolonial and or post-colonial ways about the research machine and the way that it uh, produces um, and reproduces inequalities of global power, uh, while potentially trying to advocate for um, social justice. Uh, so um, within that kind of um, context, just to give you an example, if you're not that familiar with some of these discourses, um, to look at Veronica Wurra's study of feminist journals and textbooks uh, in citation politics. Um, and this, uh, this graph shows um, US-based journals only citing US, North American, and Western European um, located authors, uh, actually he heading across, even we see um, the Indian Journal of General <coughs> Studies, nonetheless still quite a high proportion and quite a low proportion really of, um, of sort of local publications. But this comes through even more strongly in um, the textbooks uh, where we see um, US textbooks uh, almost exclusively citing authors based in North America and Western Europe, um, but also Indian textbooks uh, not really uh, citing that many Indian um, authors or other um, country authors. Again, predominantly uh, citing North American and Western European um, authors. This, is the, this sort of citation study is becoming kind of more and more common um, to show that uh, even if perhaps uh, authors are citing um, academics of color, they're still based in the US. And they may even be uh, of uh, African or Indian origin, but nonetheless located in US knowledge systems and playing the US citation game or Western Europe uh, citation game. So. Um, I think we should be thinking a bit more about conferences in the same vein. Um, there is uh, generally kind of less attention paid to academic conferences as there is to publications and citation policy, uh, citation politics. Um, I, I have various kind of explanations for this, um, which I won't go into in too much detail, but I, I think they are um, in some ways outside of higher education institutions. So they do to some extent escape uh, some of the kind of equality charters and policies that universities try to put in place to uh, allow for kind of more equal um, status of different groups within the academic pr profession. But there is a sort of vicious circle that um, you kind of need um, a certain level of funded and supported research culture in your institution to access uh, conferences, whether that's in terms of getting funding or leave. Um, and actually those academics who are really in need of research culture that isn't provided at the institutional level find it also harder to access conferences. So we have a kind of double bind that uh, conferences are really quite exclusionary um, sites. Um, we also have the difficulty that conferences represent a sort of luxury activity. Um, their benefits are quite indirect and quite difficult to measure. 
And they have a sort of unclear status where they're sort of optional, uh, but at the same time, they're considered very necessary for building of networks, sharing ideas, collaborations, etc. And they are included in some promotion um, guidelines and probation guidelines that your presence at international conferences, for example, is treated as a kind of proxy for uh, reputation, esteem, uh, international collaboration. But they are um, expensive and they can involve long distance travel for a short duration. So the cost benefit analysis of attending a conference, especially in a resource, uh, under-resourced higher education institution, is pretty difficult to swing, basically. And conference funding is pretty easy to cut as well. If, an, if a department says we need to make a saving, you can slice conference funding quite easily um, and you make quite a big saving, at least in the short term. Um, the geopolitics of conferences um, ha has already been discussed and uh, even back in 1994 we see some quite similar statements as we would see in the um, kind of decolonization type literature at the moment um, that uh, internationality and the need of accessing interna so-called international conferences is uh, the concern of scientific communities on the so-called geographical periphery. Um, and the so-called international science being the more like the national science, basically, of the kind of Western uh, centers. Um, and this, this particular paper, um, even back in 94, is talking about how essential it is, and yet how restricted um, access to these sorts of spaces of international knowledge collaboration are, um, and restricted to certain groups. So certain groups, globally and then certain groups within the elites of uh, the small countries that these authors are talking about. So um, we do have, have a kind of sense, even from uh, a couple of decades ago now, that conferences uh, are these sorts of elite uh, places that are difficult to access and that potentially reinforce the kind of uh, geographical patterns of mobility and of knowledge production um, that that we see in the publications, in the citations, etc., etc. Um, so, in this particular uh, presentation, um, I'm thinking a, a bit around um, how conferences reinforce some of the colonial answers that we're getting to in our research, and also some of the colonial questions that are being asked. So, um, some of the kind of colonial answers that I'm talking about here are around the relationship between the access to conferences and publishing. So uh, what I mean here by colonial answers is the fact that uh, the literature that gets out there is, as I showed in the Wurra study, still predominantly uh, located in the global north. Um, and that means that the answers to our research questions provided by the publications that are out there, the researchers who are, been, who are being published, uh, are to some extent neo-colonial in nature, at least in terms of where they're located and the ways in which they are imposed upon and taken up in uh, post-colonial contexts. Um, I'm also thinking around um, the ways that a conference research itself, which is a very disparate field, but something which I've been trying to map out and trace over the last few years. There are also unasked questions within that research. There's, there's a sort of backdrop of in global inequality in that field of research where the questions aren't really asked. Often it's more about how can we get the most profitable uh, conference? How can we get the most people here? 
uh, and not necessarily asking within that of for whom uh, are we doing this and why. Um, so there are sort of unasked colonial research questions that reproduce the exact same inequalities of access to knowledge production that we might be actually trying to combat by organising more equal and accessible conferences. And I think because um, in the very research design of a lot of conferences research, these questions are unasked, again, there's a kind of reproduction of what might be considered colonial answers. Um, so I'm going to unpick those two things a little bit more um, and show you some of the existing research. And there has been um, a certain amount of research done, which I would never do personally, on a kind of a very uh, quantitative making statistical models, this sort of research, which I'm very grateful to people for doing because I don't particularly want to do it, but I, I think it is needed as that kind of, um, as that backdrop. And it's because it's so disparate, it's not often brought together as some kind of evidence base. So I want to show you a little bit about uh, what people have actually shown in terms of global inequalities in conference attendance and also in terms of conference location, because not only are we talking about inequalities of who can access those sites of collaboration, but also where those sites of collaboration are even uh, located. Um, and I want to end by thinking a little bit about what kind of uh, situation we're reproducing or trying to challenge in this um, network. So um, there is, a, I, I sort of need to make this point because people quite often um, almost doubt it in what I what I talk about. Um, there is this kind of proven link between conferences and publishing. So if anyone says to you, well, are conferences really important? Everyone knows that, you know, that publications are held up as a kind of accountability measure. And uh, there is research showing very clearly how conferences lead towards um, more publications being made. So if we're talking about that inequality of uh, the publication and citation landscape, uh, conferences do lead directly to um, international collaborative publications. Um, and uh, this is just, uh, for example, this last study um, looked at a, a US conference that was um, cancelled due to a hurricane, and they tried to compare uh, the resultant publications that did or did not happen uh, because they treated it like a kind of quasi-experiment um, to analyse what may or may not have happened because of that uh, hurricane. And they did seem to find that there were lots, uh, lots of publications that were potentially damaged by that cancelled uh, conference. Um, and this, uh, this is just to show you, um, someone did a study of how, what they call conference closure, which is the formation of collaborations uh, through uh, conference participation, uh, showing how people's collaborations kind of traced um, upwards uh, through the years. Um, so there has been research directly proving that if you don't access conferences, uh, your uh, access to the rest of global knowledge production also suffers. To move on to uh, global inequalities as a sort of backdrop, uh, what we see through the various literature is that uh, in things like giving conference planning advice, uh, things come, become written down as like practical and logistical considerations when they're actually um, political uh, geopolitical considerations. So such as giving advice to say, you know, you should combine plenary speakers from far away with more local ones, but this depends on the financial situation of the conference. So it's very easy to say from that, well, we don't have enough money to fly someone in from a developing country. Um, I think that's the, that's the sort of backdrop that I'm talking about. It seems like a logistical decision. It's actually a geopolitical uh, decision. Again, this is just um, an excerpt from a kind of... Um, 
sort of ethnographic thick description of how a kind of research network um, operates in the European area. And I just wanted to highlight um, that the countries are used as markers of who is in that room. So Spain, Scotland, Germany, and Australia. Um, and that's just the sort of wallpaper to this excerpt. But I think it's very interesting that those are the countries that are there. Um, and then, um, then uh, this sort of leads me on to my methodological uh, question as well of the questions that conferences research are actually posing and the findings that they're coming to. So this, uh, this study um, seems to show that uh, the factors that affect uh, whether or not someone attends the conference are quite universal. They're around travel expenses, what's affordable, etc., etc. But when we look at their participants, uh, these are the countries they're from. So we have 156 from the US and then really very few from other countries. And that's treated as a universal uh, finding that these are the reasons why people attend or not based entirely pretty much on a US and North American and Western perspective. This is what I mean by reinforcing these kinds of politics within the very research design that we're employing without saying this is a study pretty much of um, American or European uh, decision-making processes. So um, I then want to show um, just, uh, again, some sort of findings from some studies that have actually looked at how international, so-called international uh, conferences actually are. So this was from the Association of American Geographers. Um, and I realize it's rather small, but I can show you that, um, you know, for example, from North America, we have 6,799 delegates. South Asia, four. Uh, 20 uh, from Eurasia, uh, 71 from Southeast Asia. Uh, basically, they're not very international. Um, and we have a kind of... Uh, their conclusion from that is the way that actually the scholars who do access these spaces mobilize uh, their identities as almost like rarities. So uh, they take their um, international conference attendance as a status builder uh, in their home departments, uh, in their um, home countries. But they also uh, take on this unique, uh, almost country representative feel at the conference uh, to show as if they are the best that their country can offer. So they, they play a kind of conference game of um, being, uh, being the rarity um, at the conference, which obviously then collapses uh, the range of experiences and identities from that particular location into that one person, which undoubtedly reinforces you know, the, the fact that quite often... Um, you find kind of com at conferences, even the one I was at last week, people mobilizing the discourse of Africa. Um, you know, I'm from Africa, uh, and that means that I know uh, this. Um, and Or people saying, I've been to Africa. That kind of discourse that really narrows things down and creates a kind of, basically a neo-colonial type of, of knowledge, um, production at conferences, yeah. Uh, kind of reinforced by the rarity of delegates from those countries being present at these, in these spaces. Uh, we see, when did I start again? Five minutes, yeah. Uh, we see again, sorry this is cut off the top, but uh, this is the International Sociological Association, which is purportedly international in that the destination moves um, each time. Um, and this shows the um, spread of, of delegates with the darker colour being the delegates uh, from uh, the highest proportion of delegates. And we can see very clearly, you might have predicted um, exactly this, more or less this map. Um, 
They, they also did a kind of extra calculation, which I thought was really interesting, where um, this would be perfect equality of destinations. Then they looked at the GDP of different countries, and based on the fact that poorer countries would be less able to send delegates to these kinds of spaces, this was their predict predicted equality. And this was the actual observed participation, which was much more unequal than they even predicted, which I think raises further questions here. So to leap on from um, the uh, destinations from which uh, delegates are going to the inequalities of a conference locations, because where do people actually end up having to travel to go to international conferences? And uh, this is based on the same study, the Sociological Association study, where they supposedly uh, move the conference around. But if we look, for example, um, if I were to say where would you predict the African one to be, you would probably say South Africa, I think. And there it was, again, Buenos Aires. These are, these are quite sort of, um, these are almost like the safe uh, developing or middle income country locations. Um, that's where, you know, we see actually a lot of research collaboration happening. And this is where we see a lot of, you know, people who are having to sort of show international collaboration and collaborating with these countries, holding events there, going there, etc. I think it gets a little more sinister still. Uh, when we look at this, these graphs, um, which show actually the preferences, how important different factors are to people's decisions to attend conferences. So the first one is about security, and it, it's very important for people uh, that they know they're going to a secure location. But as they point out, what if they've never visited that destination before? Uh, they, have, they may have no idea about the security. Um, then use of international language. Uh, very, very significant, uh, again we ask who's the sample, that the conference is in English. Finally, um, safety and hygiene, I thought this one was pretty sinister, uh, sample evaluate rigorously the ability to attend conferences that are held in destinations free from bad hygiene, infectious diseases and poor cleanliness. Uh, what kind of discourse is that, uh, is that replicating? Which countries are seen as non- uh, conference locations from this. To, to move on to a case study of, of Jordan and the measurement of where conferences are held uh, within the country of Jordan, um, this reflects very clearly that previous statement that people often perceive Jordan to be an insecure country and don't see it as an obvious place to hold their international conferences. They're also looking at how, uh, from the conference industry's point of view, we should be thinking about conferences being held in poorer areas uh, because supposedly they re rejuvenate the local economy. But if we look in the Jordan case, this is the poorest area and this is where the conferences are. Uh, so the, the conferences are held in the safest parts, even within uh, a country that's considered a developing country. So we see this sort of inequality, this reproduction um, of, uh, of the sort of power going on, even at this uh, national level. And then I think even beneath this, we see a discourse coming through of um, uh, almost um, exoticizing uh, the local community that um, the new income, income sources, if these conferences are held in the poorest areas, is around handicrafts, local food and souvenirs. Um, what kind of partnership is that on the knowledge production front? So um, 
I, I realise this has been a bit of a, a romp, but um, I want to just kind of, uh, before I just end, I want to just think quickly that this is also an intersectional question. This isn't just about uh, the global inequalities of who goes where or where they have to go, but it's also a question of, um, here I show gender and also caste, um, that this, this article on gender and conferences in, in Israel, um, the, the men are blue, the women are red, uh, so you can see that uh, across the board, in terms of presenters, chairs, greetings and participants, um, even though you might say that the university is feminized, uh, conferences are decidedly gendered spaces. Again, we see even more strongly um, in this study of, uh, of Indian, an Indian institution, uh, that uh, these long pillars are the, the men academics in this institution, and the short pillars are the women, not accessing conferences. And even more uh, shocking, I think, um, if we're looking at the Indian context in terms of the uh, historically uh, deprived castes and classes, 84% uh, of faculty members from higher castes participated in national conferences, as opposed to backward classes and scheduled castes, both under 10%. Huge inequalities of who's actually going to the rooms and asking the questions. So based on that, I assume I'm well out of time at this point. Okay, um, so based on, based on this uh, kind of uh, romp where, um, you know, I'm trying to draw together huge kind of maps that almost oversimplify, but also are so starkly um, disturbing, I think, uh, when we actually start scratching the surface. I want to also draw one for the IRR network uh, so far, uh, for the events um, that it's held so far. And um, this is uh, no uh, discredit uh, to... to you know, us or to the previous convener, uh, but um, basically the red countries are countries where uh, we've had speakers um, at IRR events who are based in those countries. So I'm not talking about their country of origin, I'm talking about their country of uh, kind of current work location. And the blue are where we've had people who have dual uh, uh, roles, uh, one in the UK and one in another country. And interesting really that the three are developing countries uh, that we've had represented um, all have also roles in in the UK so um, and this comes from the fact that what we do as a network is we tend to attract people who are passing through who actually passes through base is based on as I've shown you basically where you're working the access to institutional uh, research culture funding etc etc <laughs> Uh, so we have, uh, in some ways, uh, reproduced um, exactly the kinds of maps uh, that, that I've been showing you so far with the network. Uh, so my, my final questions that I want to end on and I want to kind of put back, back to you are that, you know, we're operating as a network within these financial constraints. Um, you know, it's, we can afford, say, a couple of speakers to come from within the UK, maybe one from Europe, but not uh, more than that. So we have this tradition of inviting people who are passing through, but who passes through? Um, and one kind of easy answer to this is to say we should be doing webinars, uh, which is, I think, something we need to think about. But it's not necessarily the silver bullet, because you have to have access to the technology, to the, to the Wi-Fi. You have to have, be in the right time zone or get up in the middle of the night to attend. Um, and you still have to be known. Um, then we have a possibility of having kind of guest event conveners, you know, where we, where we may want to open up the range of speakers uh, that we know by saying, okay, you, you're an expert in that area, do you want to kind of bring together a program and we'll work together on putting the event on? But again, how do we come to know them? And how do they come to know us and feel like they can propose a research event to us? 
And even beyond that, we have the questions of event pedagogy and curriculum. What are we actually trying to talk about? And is the way that we're running events um, also reproducing uh, pedagogically um, some kind of power relations? Okay, so um, I hope that made some, uh, some, some sense in a kind of sketchy way. And uh, I would really appreciate um, your, your thoughts on the paper and on where we should go next. Thank you very much. <laughs>